Well, today I want to, to preach from John chapter 2, 1 through 11. Um, it, as Sam said, it's Jesus' first miracle recorded in John's gospel from the wedding at Cana. And I want to look at this text through the, through the lens of the kingdom of God and what it teaches us about God's kingdom. Because everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did was revealing something to us about God's kingdom. Every, every parable, every conversation, every miracle, every teaching, every sermon that, that Jesus performed or did was, was revealing something to us about his kingdom and, and especially so for, for this first miracle at the wedding at Cana. It was extremely significant in that way. So we're going to look at uh, John 2 verses 1 through 11. Let me just offer a prayer as we get underway. Father God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty and glory of it, for a time to worship together as a, a family of faith, even as we're distributed across the city. We pray that by your spirit, you would knit our hearts together as uh, one, as a family, as we worship. And I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Father God, would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. We thank you. Indeed, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. John 2, 1 through 11. And John writes, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. I think if you operate in liters, that's maybe 80 to 120 liters, but each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, he said, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some of that water out or draw some of that out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, um, he didn't know where it had come from. Although the servants who brought it to him did. Uh, The master of the feast then called the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone serves the, the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, you have kept the best until now. Uh, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is Jesus' first miracle, his first miracle, his debut, the launching of his ministry. And what we see is that he is at a wedding. He's at this wedding in Cana, and he's there with his mama, and he's there with his disciples. Now, we don't know whose wedding this was. It's not told to us in the the text, but, but we know that Jesus is there for a celebration. And so we see from the text that that while they're celebrating the wedding, that the wine runs out. And this is significant. Uh, Jewish weddings at that time would 
would last not only for a few hours, but rather for a few days. And while we don't know how many days into the celebration this event takes place, nevertheless, we know it's not time for the party to be over. And clearly, it's not time to run out of wine. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, she comes to him. She's in a panic. She shares with him that they've run out of wine and she wants him to do something. She knows this would have been humiliating for the, the host of the party to, to run out of wine too early. In fact, in, in Jewish culture and in Middle Eastern culture at that time, hospitality was, was king. Hospitality was incredibly important. And so if you were hosting a party and you ran out of wine, this would have been a crisis. It would have been humiliating. And so Mary's in a panic that they've run out of wine. It's too soon to be out of wine. She wants Jesus to, to do something, and he does do something. He finds some jars. He has the servants fill those jars with, with water, and he turns that water into wine. Now, again, this is his debut miracle. He's launching his, his ministry, this miracle. It's, 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 it is astounding. But in some ways, as I read this text, it does strike me that it seems a, a rather random miracle. We see so much in Jesus' ministry, his miracles, his signs and wonders. He raised the dead, he healed the sick, he made the, the blind to see, the, the lame to walk. These kinds of miracles, he cast out demons. And so, and so when, I, when I see this water to wine, it seems somewhat Somewhat unexpected, somewhat random in his miracles, but nevertheless, it is remarkable. Um, he didn't have to turn water into wine, but he did it. And there's something remarkable revealed about his kingdom in this miracle of water to wine. As I said, everything that Jesus did, everything he said, the miracles he performed, they were all revealing something to us about God's kingdom. And, and even more so in this first miracle, in, in performing this first miracle, he was, he was communicating something to us about the, the kingdom of God. He was setting the, the tone for everything that he would do in the future. And just to get right to it, you know, I, 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 would, I would note here that, that this miracle, Jesus performed this miracle simply to keep the party going. Jesus turned water into wine to keep the party going. This, this tells us something about his kingdom. Now, now, he did this to keep the party going. I know there, there are deeper spiritual and theological implications to this, to this miracle. And we'll get to that in a moment. But, but, but for the time, it's, it's Jesus just wants to keep the party going. He was quite literally the life of the party. And, and here he's at this party. They run out of wine. The party's threatened to be cut short. And his first miracle is to turn water into wine to keep the party going, to keep the celebration going. And, and I think it tells us something about his kingdom. He's revealing to us that his kingdom is a kingdom of joy. In fact, the Bible says, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans, in, in chapter 14, verse 7, and Paul's speaking about the kingdom of God, and he says the kingdom is, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul's telling us about these characteristics of the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of righteousness 
Now, we would expect that. God's kingdom would be a righteous kingdom. And, and then he tells us that it's a, a kingdom of peace. And again, that, that, that makes sense, right? That, that God's kingdom is a peaceable kingdom. But then joy. Maybe we don't always associate that with the kingdom of God. That his kingdom is a kingdom of, of joy. That's one of the characteristics of God's kingdom. And that's a message for us today. And I, and I think that's what Jesus is, is revealing in this first miracle at, at Cana. He's bringing joy by keeping the celebration going. Um, so his kingdom is a kingdom of joy. And it means, and it means for us. It means for us that to be a kingdom person, to be a follower of Jesus and, and a citizen of his kingdom, it means that to be a kingdom person is to be a joyful person. I think that's important for us. Um, you know, when you read the Gospels, you, you see that Jesus set the example for us. Jesus was the, the ultimate kingdom person. And he sets the example of how to live as a joyful person person. Now, now one, one thing we learn about Jesus in the Gospels, we learn that at times he was accused of being a glutton or being a drunkard. And of course, of course, he wasn't a drunkard or a glutton, but he was accused of this at times. And he was accused of this because he would, he would eat and he would go to the homes of and the, the celebrations of sinners and tax collectors. And the religious leaders, they, they didn't like this about Jesus. And they, they accused him of being a drunkard and a tax collector, a drunkard and a, a glutton because of this, because he, he shared meals with these kinds of, of people. But I, I think what's interesting about that is that we, we see that it was the tax collectors and it was the sinners who were inviting Jesus into their homes and into the celebrations in their lives. And I, I don't know exactly why that was, but, but I wonder, maybe, maybe it was just they wanted to be with Jesus. In Jesus, they found a person of joy. In Jesus, they, they, they found um, so, someone who had life about them and vitality about him, and they just wanted to be around a person like that. And, and I wonder, you know, I said Jesus sets the example for us of what it means to be a kingdom person and to live with joy, and I just wonder, you know, as sometimes people in the church, we... we and sometimes rightly so, we're, we're characterized as being a people who are maybe kind of dull or um, we're not the life of the party. And what would it mean for us if we were to live into that example of Jesus and, and be a joy, joyful kingdom people, people with life and vitality about us? And how, you know, when you think about how attractive that is, we want to be around people like that. And how, how attractive perhaps that would be for the church and for kingdom people like you and me. If we follow Jesus' example to be joyful and to be vibrant in our life because sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves, they're, they're attracted to this. They're attracted to the kingdom of God in that way, a kingdom which transforms lives and hearts. So that's who Jesus was, right? Um, even sinners and tax collectors, they wanted to be with Jesus, and he set that example of what it meant to be a joyful kingdom person. So, um, yet the world, the world has kind of a twisted view of this. The mantra of the world is this: mantra of the world is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's the mantra. Of the world. In other words, 
The world tells us, make the most out of today because there is no tomorrow. And on the surface, on the surface, I think this sounds somewhat inspiring, right? Make the most out of the day. I mean, even the Bible tells us that tomorrow is not a guarantee. But under the surface, there's really an underlying hopelessness about the mantra of the world, right? We eat, drink, and be merry because we're just trying to drown out our despair and drown out our our hopelessness, right? Um, That's the mantra of the world. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, we die. Uh, And it's really a false perception of joy. In contrast, I would submit to you that the mantra of the kingdom of God is different and is better. And it's found in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13. And the writer there says, I perceived that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so the the mantra of the world, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Um, There's no hope in that. There's no future in that. Just live in the moment. Drown out the hopelessness. But the mantra of the kingdom of God, eat, drink, and be, and be merry, for this is God's good gift to you. You see the difference? As God's kingdom people, we are to celebrate life because we have the greatest hope of all. But the world, the world celebrates because they have no hope and they want to drown out that truth. There's no hope. But as kingdom people, we celebrate life. We make the most out of life because we have the greatest hope of all. Amen? We have the greatest hope of all. And and it's God's good and gracious gift to us as kingdom people. As Christians, we have the greatest reason to celebrate. And so to be a kingdom person is to be a joyful person. Okay, I know there may be be a pushback on this, right? You might think, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark, why are you talking about joy now? We're living in these difficult days. We've had this pandemic for, for a year and a half. We've just gone back into restrictions here Um, We can't even meet together today. Why are we talking about joy? There's been so much difficulty. There's been so much sorrow. There's been so much sadness. Well, what I'm talking about as a joyful kingdom person is not that we have to be happy all the time, right? Life is not always going to go our way. I'm the first to acknowledge that. I think we've all experienced that. But you know, and we know that Jesus, the ultimate kingdom person, even Jesus, he faced sorrow and grief and suffering in his life. Yet he, there was always life and joy to be found in Jesus. And, and that's what it means to be a, a kingdom person, a joyful kingdom person. We're, we're not always going to be happy, right? We're not always going to be happy. Life's not always going to go our way, but even in spite of, of the circumstances, even in spite of our moods and our feelings, uh, in spite of all of that, we can have joy and life and 
vibrancy about us because our joy is based or is founded in God's good and gracious gifts to us. And so it's, it's a joy unspeakable. Peter says it's a joy unspeakable, full of glory, this joy that we have. Um, now, another question you might have, well, Pastor Mark, what are we, what are we celebrating? What, what are we celebrating to have this great joy about us? What gives us, what gives us this joy? It's a good question as well. And, and it kind of brings us back. It brings us back to the text, back to that first miracle. And there, there's an important detail in there. I think it's really easy to, to miss. It's kind of easy to just read through and miss this. So I want to look at that. It's in verses 6 and 7 from our text today. And in verse 6 and 7, we read, There were six stone jars for water. There were water jars used for Jewish rites of purification. Each held 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill up the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now, the, the detail here that I think is easy to overlook is extraordinarily significant. And that, that detail that we see is that these six jars were used to hold water for Jewish rites of purification, of cleanse, cleansing practices. Um, these jars would literally hold holy water, if you will, um, for Jewish cleansing. And so Jesus takes these jars, he takes this water, and he turns it into wine. And, and I think the symbolism here is remarkable. It's, it's a foreshadowing of, of the Lord's Supper to come. Um, when Jesus will raise the cup of wine and he will say that this cup symbolizes the, the blood of the new covenant that's shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so he takes that water, that water used for Jewish purification and cleansing, and he turns that into wine. He's making this, this amazing symbolic statement. Um, he's saying, I'm replacing the ritual water of the old covenant with the wine of my new covenant, the wine of my new kingdom, with the blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And so he's instituting this new and better covenant. I'm taking the old and I'm making it new and better. He's taking this, this water used for purification and he's making new wine. And, and, and he's not only making a statement about his kingdom, but you know, th throughout the Bible, symbolically, wine represents joy. And so he's making a statement about being joyful kingdom people. Um, he, he's, uh, he's even making a, a deeper statement about what to be joyful about. Right? He's taking this water that was used for external purification or cleansing, and he's turning it into wine. And, and it's as if he's saying that this water, this, this water for purification, it, it can only cleanse you so much. It can only wash you so much. It's, it's all on the outside. It cannot cleanse or heal matters of the heart. Um, but... But this new wine, symbolizing the new covenant, symbolizing his shed blood for us, he's saying that, now, now that can really cleanse you. It can cleanse you deep inside. It can, it can cleanse and heal your heart. It can make us clean. It can make us righteous. And so, and so what do we celebrate? What is this joy we celebrate? What is the reason for it? This is the reason. You know, we're not celebrating as the world celebrates. Um, the world celebrates life in shallow ways. 
The world celebrates the drown out hopelessness, but, but as God's kingdom people, we're celebrating because we have this greatest reason to celebrate because we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. We have this new and better covenant through him, and he is the greatest hope of all. So um, Jesus is instituting here a new and better covenant through this new wine, replacing the old waters of purification. And, and then I want to look at what happens next. After he turns the water and the wine, we'll look at what happens next. And it goes on to say this in verses 9 and 10. It says, when the master of the feast tested or tasted the water that had now become wine, he didn't know where it had come from. Um, he, he tastes this new wine and then he calls the bridegroom to himself. And, and he says, everyone serves the good wine first. And then after people have freely drunk that wine, then they serve the poor wine. But you, you have kept the good wine until last. So, you, you know, everybody knows the rules of the party, right? Everybody knows the rules of a party. You always put out the expensive wine first, right? So when people have their first or second glass of wine, you kind of impress your guests with that good wine. But then after they've had a couple of glasses, you can put out the, you can put out the cheap stuff and nobody is going to care. That's just how it works. And so the master of the party, he is astonished. He is astonished that the wine is so good because it is well past the beginning of the party. It's closer perhaps to the end of the party. So he calls the bridegroom to himself. He says, this is amazing. This is amazing. You have saved the best for last. I think the point being made there is that what God is doing now is better than what he's done before. God always saves the best for last. Um, and, and this new wine, this new wine he gives us, this, this blood of the new covenant is better. It's better than what came before. It's better than the ritual waters of purification. It, cl it cleanses us, not just on the outside, but from the inside out by his blood. It's so much better than what we had before. That, friends, that is why we celebrate. That is why we are joyful. So let me begin to wrap this up. And to wrap up, I just want to kind of reiterate the two reasons we rejoice. The first is this. We rejoice in what Christ has done. Um, we, don't, we don't celebrate as the world celebrates. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We don't celebrate like the world to drown out our hopelessness. No, no, we, we don't celebrate Jesus in that way. Um, we celebrate because he's, give, he's given us so much. He's given us joy and life and hope for the future. We, we celebrate, we eat, drink, and be merry because it's God's good gift to us, right? And, and, and of course, we should celebrate Jesus in that way. But you know, we often, we don't hesitate to have a celebration if our sports team wins the championship, if our political candidate wins the election, oh, we're quick to have a party. But these things don't even matter when you think about having a, a, an eternal view of God's kingdom. These things, are, these things are a blip, but we're quick to celebrate them. But brothers and sisters, let's be quick to celebrate Jesus and to celebrate what he has done for us and in us. Let's celebrate Jesus and what he has done before we ever celebrate politics or sports or any of these other things that the wine of his new covenant 
it makes us righteous and that righteousness brings us peace and that peace brings us joy so that we can be joyful kingdom people in the example of Jesus. That, that is the reason to celebrate. No matter what is going on in your life circumstances, that is a reason for joy. And second, as God's kingdom people, we celebrate life and we rejoice because God always saves the best for last. We rejoice because we have the greatest hope of all. And as God's kingdom people, we have a perpetual hope that God is always up to something. He's always up to something. The, the circumstances may seem grim at times, but God is always up to something. And he always saves the best wine for last. That's something to celebrate. We can celebrate because we have this hope, not like the world, but we can celebrate because we know God is always up to something new and praise God for that. So that no matter your circumstances, no matter what you may be going through at this moment, we can always have hope. And we can always rejoice. So, so my prayer for us this week and in the weeks and months ahead is that we can be a people of joy and that we would celebrate life and the hope we have in Christ and not just drown out our hopelessness with meaningless celebration, but we would celebrate what God has given us in Christ. We would celebrate with hope that we know the best is yet to come. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you today that you are a person of joy and that you have set that example for each one of us. That you, have, that you are teaching us what it means to be kingdom people and that this kingdom is a kingdom of joy. And I thank you, even as we go through the, the troubles and the trials of this life, that you have given us a reason to celebrate. So I pray this morning that no matter what's happening for each one of us in this life, that we would find joy unspeakable and full of glory, that we would celebrate life, that we would celebrate you, Jesus, and that we would have a perpetual hope, always believing that the best is yet to come, that, that what you are doing is going to be better even than what came before that you've saved the best wine for last. And we rejoice in that this morning. And we thank you. And we thank you for your righteousness and for your peace and the joy that you have given us. We, we, we want to be a people of abounding joy in you. We thank you. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.